Shaken Blake presents Gambit and the Keeper. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, to another episode of Shake and Blake here on Earth2.net and GeekPlanetOnline.com. I'm Dave Probert, and with me is Mr. Ian Wilson. Why, hello there. Greetings from the frozen north. <laughs> is, it, is it frozen? It's bloody cold. <laughs> uh, it's, it's not quite frozen as of yet. We've, we've yet to see snow. But um, any day now, probably. It's on its way. It's on. Well, that's the thing because um, I graduate. I, I uh, picked up my MA about this time last year, and uh, my graduation ceremony was slightly blighted by the fact we had two foot of snow everywhere. Well, it must have been a winter wonderland. It was, <laughs> it was something like that, I suppose. Fair enough. Because <laughs> when, when you think of a winter wonderland, you think of Newcastle clogged up in snow. <laughs> <laughs> Walking in a Geordie wonderland. <laughs> the best kind of wonderland. Well, he, he, here we are on our, uh, our last podcast of the year. Yes, 2011, Dave. What, what a year it's been. What a year it's been. <laughs> I can't tell you how happy I'm, I've been to experience 2011. Well, professional segues aside, should we uh, jump <laughs> You wouldn't know I've been podcasting for about five years, would you? No. <laughs> well, stay here, you know. <laughs> uh, dear. Yes, feedback. Okay, uh, did, did you want to go first? I have some feedback, so I, I can go first. Go first, because it was pretty much a dead uh, sort of a dead heat, really, uh, last week, wasn't it? I, I think it was really just the orgs, to be honest. Yes. <laughs> Everyone let us down, otherwise. <laughs> okay, um, so this email comes in from... It's a return email from Terry Mitchell. Uh, Hello, who says, Terry. <laughs> who says, Hello, Ian and Dave has taken me some time and the loss of 25 US bucks from my pockets. But I'm happy to say that as of this email, I have all of the Blake 7 episodes. Nice! And this is an American, okay? And uh, he, he goes on. How did I get them so easily? Or, well, he actually says, how I got them is easy. I went to a convention. Yeah. Ah. I was not. I was not going to get them at first because the man selling them wanted forty-five dollars for them. As you do at a convention, I looked around and found it for twenty-five dollars. 
I can't wait to burn through Series 1 so I can stop and enjoy the ride as Ian is. So the next email, I'll have something to say about the shows being reviewed. Very good. Yeah, look look forward to hearing you. Absolutely, and and he'll... I mean, I imagine he'll have a very similar experience to what I'm having. So, um, it'll be interesting to hear. Uh, He goes on to say, I must thank Dave for bringing up Hypnobob's 53, the Ghostwatch episode of the podcast. It was fantastic. And uh, I will chip in and say I wholeheartedly agree. uh, Absolutely. Because Mr. Jim... Mr. Jim Moon is utterly fantastic. And uh, for those of you listening from Earth 2, he does the kind of smooth English voice that I like to bring to comic relief so much better and for a lot longer. So, mainly c- mainly uh, because yeah. it's his actual voice. <laughs> yes, he, he's not putting it on like I do. Uh, I, I obviously, I don't put it on for this. But uh, comic relief, very much so. Um, uh, so he signs off saying, set Earth 2's email account plus one, Terry. Well, thank you, Terry, and I'm happy to do that. And um, I'm, I'm very glad you've uh, got a hold of the series um, at, and that you found it at a convention. And uh, in that earlier in this year, 2011, what a year, Dave. What's what a year. What a year. Exactly. Um, I, I went to a uh, convention with a lot of my uh, friends from Earth2.net, and uh, none of them have actually picked up Blake 7 or have emailed in. Uh, granted, Hannah's emailed in, but although she didn't actually watch the show, but uh, no one else there did. So, that means that Terry is better than all of them. <laughs> Pretty much. Interesting decision you've made there. <laughs> I, I, I notice you're saying nice and neutral there. I'm, I'm, I'm not getting involved in that. You want to start kicking over <laughs> bins in, over Earth too? I'm not going to get in your way. I will say, though, that um, uh, I did do something... Uh, I, I, well, I've, I've worked on a project since our last recording with... Uh, uh, Mr. Michael David Sims, and he did tell me that uh, he does listen, and uh, he was making a joke about how how great it would be if someone uh, went as their Halloween costume as cosplay, cosplay Travis. Nice. Um, but that's the thing. I have to impart this through the side from something that wasn't recorded for a podcast segment that's going to air in the future. It would be so much easier if he just emailed that force in. He is a very busy man. Uh, he says that. <laughs> anyway, anyway, yeah, that's that's enough jabs at the boss for this month. Um, so I will make my stand with a feedback count of one. Splendid. Well, I I have some uh, feedback from the orgs, good, good. the wonderful orgs, and I also have an email. Oh, uh, this, yes, uh, this comes from uh, Gareth Edwards, and he says, uh, "Dear Dave the Doctor and that Ian guy." Dave the Doctor. I think that may be a reference to I did a little guest spot on a uh, 
on the Martians are here uh, Halloween special, which was like a oh, parody. It was a parody of uh, the Jeff Wayne War of the Worlds, and I ended up playing the Doctor, ah, which was nice. Okay. You're becoming uh, semi-regular on that podcast, aren't you? Aren't I just? <laughs> anyway, Gareth continues. So, one year on from the moment you were both bundled onto the London and destined to have Brian blessed at you, <laughs> only to offer three more extra strong mints as, as a cure, you bravely decided to podcast about Blake 7. Yet it took me this long to feed back to your show. My introduction to Blake 7 was via a set of four videos that my father gave me to watch. These were edited episodes together to form a longer arc. So your podcast has made me go back to and rewatch these and, ep- and the episodes I could find. That said, I love the podcast, and even though I called Ian that Ian guy earlier, I think it would not be the same without you both approaching the show as you do. I secretly hope that the future released versions of the series one box set come with the following episode guide. The web is shit. In your honour. Anyway, keep up the good work. <laughs> Gareth Edwards. And uh, Gareth apparently does a podcast called uh, Gareth's World, which can be found at garethsworld.podbean.com. So thank you for that, Gareth. He's uh, sent us yes. some episode-specific feedback for uh, Gambit as well, so I'll, I will get to that when the moment comes. Thank you, Dave. Right. So, yes, yeah, so that, that makes it a, a 2-1 victory. Yeah. i tell you what I'm going to have to do about this, Dave. What, what are you going to have to do about this? I'm going to have to send you a uh, a parody song of a well-loved Christmas classic addressing the sore issue of the disparity of the feedback war over the course of the second season. Because in the first season, it was it was pretty close run. It was, I think yeah. It's fair to say. Oh, absolutely. And for this season, I'm just getting my arse handed to me. So um, I'm I'm going to address this in music form. I see. Um, <laughs> so look forward to that, people. Yes, but prepare to feel the burn in musical form. <laughs> well, quite. Right. So uh, shall we sally forth into the first episode? Be my guest. They say it's wide open. What is? Freedom City. So I've heard. Wide, wide open. Got everything a man ever dreams of, they say. Space City pales by comparison, they say. You know, if it was a desert down there, so hot your eyeballs frizzle, poisonous snakes under every rock. Blake would have sent us. You can bet on it. Bet. Why not? It's perfect. What is? There is a casino down there. It is called the Big Wheel. No stake limits. Why don't we bust it? Because we're up here and the casino's down there. We go down there. We can get Orak to operate the teleport. He can do it just as well from down there as up here. You mean we take Orak with us? Of course we take Orak with us. (sighs) You dummy. You haven't caught on, have you? What's in your mind? The Big Wheel is run by a computer that fixes the odds at 5% in favour of the house, right? Right. Right. Orac reads computers. Oh, that is beautiful. Avon, 
There are times when I almost get to like you. Yes, well, that makes it all worthwhile. I mean, you give me a warm feeling right here, around the money belt. Okay, so our first episode this month is Gambit. Now, you're going to have to bear with me, because this is quite an intricate plot, so I shall do my best not to get lost. So, we uh, start in a bar, where a man called Klein is having a drink, and a man with a limp comes up and threatens him with a gun, and says that Klein has crippled him. Klein, is a, turns out, is a surgeon, and he says, well, basically, he rebuilt Z's leg with, you know, bits that he could find after an accident. Uh, Z pulls a gun on him, and he's about to shoot him, but the gun is shot out of his hand by none other than... Cosplay Travis! Which amazed me. Yes. Because... Last we saw, he was bearded up and captured by the Federation. Yep. <laughs> Sorry, carry on. But apparently, he... <laughs> Cosplay Travis is cosplaying as a cowboy in this episode. <laughs> he is, quite a lot of the time. With a cowboy yes. hat and a poncho. <laughs> All in black. All... <laughs> and uh, it, it turns out that... Um... Klein and Travis were both on a ship called the Bari, where there was an accident, and that uh, Klein did surgery on some of the people who were injured. And Klein makes friends with someone called Chidi, who's a uh, woman who runs one of the local bars where they are. Chidi asks Klein, do all your patients try to kill you? And Klein says, some of them have absolutely every right. So, on the Liberator... Uh, Blake is preparing to teleport down to uh, where Clyde and Travis are, which turns out to be a place called Freedom City. And he has a picture of Dockley, who was last mentioned in uh, Countdown, as the man who knows where Star One is. And according to the picture, uh, Dockley is, is Clyde's real name. And in a bizarre twist, it looks like Callie is about to leave the ship... For the first time in about six episodes. And so uh, Blake, Callie and Jenna all teleport down to Freedom City and decide to go uh, looking for Dockley. In the main uh, casino on Freedom City, a, uh, a bizarre old lady with a French accent is, uh, is telling the patrons about a game called Speed Chess, <laughs> the ultimate game of chance, where you challenge a small man called the Clute. <laughs> What? It's ridiculous. <laughs> oh, a small man called the Clute, who was a, uh, you play at speed chess, and um, basically speed chess is a game where if you uh, you have sort of five seconds to make your move, and if you win or draw against the Clute, you win a million credits. But if you lose, the Clute presses a red button, and you get vaporized, basically. Yeah. Uh, it turns out that the, the man who runs this casino and the rest of Freedom City is a bloke called Krantor, who is flamboyantly awesome. <laughs> He's definitely flamboyant. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Krantor is uh, meeting Servalan, who is there with um, a small man with curly hair called Jarriere, who seems to be... Uh, fulfilling the purpose of sort of bodyguard, manservant, bloke to hold her mask for her when she's out. 
Leo Sayer impersonator. Leo Sayer impersonator. So, uh, because Kranzor sort of runs Freedom City, but Freedom City is outside Federation territory, and it's and it therefore considered neutral, uh, Servaland says that she's on Freedom City uno- unofficially, but on official Federation business. And she tells Kranzor that she's looking for Dockley. And offers uh, two million credits for him, dead or alive. And then she also says that he's looking for uh, Travis. And uh, basically describes him as a man who was a, you know, like a tall and tough looking and with an eye patch, which Crantor finds incredibly amusing. Which, considering the way Crantor dressed, is very much the popcorn in the kettle black. I was almost exactly going to say that. So between them, they strike Not just up and, him, but his, his, his pal Toys as well. Yeah, Toys, his, uh, his right hand man. So uh, they strike up a deal. Uh, Servalan says she will pay eight. She will pay eight million for Travis and Dockley. Cradsall uh, tells Servalan to give him two hours. Uh, Toys, his assistant, already knows where uh, Travis is. Apparently, he spends a lot of time drinking somewhere called the Rink, which is uh, where all these sort of cheaper, grubbier bars are. And even though they can't find any record of a Dockley, they do know that there is a surgeon called Klein who also drinks with the Rink with Travis. Now, Crantor's intrigued as to why Servalab would be willing to pay so much for a corpse, and so intends to extract the information out of Dockley before handing his corpse over to Servalab. Meanwhile, after a break, Callie and Jenna have teleported down. Avon and Villa are pretty much sulking in the teleport room, uh, <laughs> talking about how uh, wide open Freedom City is, and what a brilliant place it is, and how it even pales in comparison to Space City, which was the last... Uh, city of gambling and pleasure that the Liberator visited. They decide that uh, had it been an extremely dangerous environment where they could get killed, Blake probably would have sent them. And this makes them even more annoyed. (laughs) And then Avon comes up with a scheme that the main game in Freedom City is a game called the Big Wheel. It is a roulette wheel that is computer controlled and fixes the odds in favour of the house. And Avon says that Aurak reads computers. So they can take Aurak down there. Aurak can read the result before it's posted, and then they can bet on the result and pretty much just break the casino. Avon convinces Villa that they can do all of this within an hour and get back to the ship before Blake's even realised that they've gone. So uh, Villa then protests that uh, Aurak's far too big to be sneaking into a casino. So between them, they con Aurak into shrinking himself to one-eighth of his size... And awesome. hide him in a small box. And so they teleport, they teleport down to uh, Freedom City, because Aurax operated the teleport for them. Uh, meanwhile, back in, uh, on the rink, Dockley is absolutely pissed. Uh, Sheedy gets him taken out. <laughs> Sheedy takes him out the back to a private room to sober up. Uh, Travis talks to Sheedy and says that uh, he helps uh, to save him, and he basically like, drinks to forget. Travis then goes outside and then is taken out in 30 seconds in possibly the worst fight ever committed to, to televisual history. Yep. <laughs> yep. That's all I need to say, really. Meanwhile, Servalan is explaining to Jarrier that uh, she knows exactly what Crantor's thinking, that Crantor is intending to uh, extract these secrets out of Dockley. But that is all playing into her plans. Because the uh, the secret of Star One is of no use to Krantor, but the fact that he knows it will put him on the Federation's death list, and that will allow Servaland to convince the Federation to uh, basically just raid Freedom City and just destroy it. 
because she's thought for ages it's been, you know, it's a bad thing having such a such a place on Federation borders. Blake, Kelly, and Jenna start searching all the uh, the cheap bars, and, then, and they end up in Sheenie's bar, where they end up getting uh, sort of uh, chatted up by a, a man called Shevardick, who is um, Cranfield's main thug. I say they get chatted up, just just Kelly and Jenna. Blake doesn't get a look in, unfortunately. Aye. After Travis is captured, he's taken to Servalan's room. And while he's unconscious, Servalan works out that Cranthor's placed a bug on Travis so she, he can overhear what they're talking about. He has Jerry Ed disconnect his artificial arm and put a grenade inside it. When Travis wakes up, uh, Servalan asks him where Dockerly is. And Travis claims to not know what's going on. And Servalan says, look, basically, uh, you know, you're not important. Just tell me what I want to know, and you can go, we can work together again. And Travis just goes, no. And then suddenly realises his arm's been disconnected and gets sort of shouting. Uh, Servalan eventually <laughs> releases him. Meanwhile, Villa is sat at the big wheel, absolutely cleaning them out. <laughs> Much to the distress of Krantor and Toys. Uh, Shevardick, after he's been talking to Sheedy because he's uh, looking for Dockley, uh, Sheedy goes into the back, sobers him up and uh, says to him, look, basically you need to get out of here because Krantor's looking for you. And because she's taken a liking to Dockley, she arranges to get him on board a transport ship that's going to, uh, like a planet hopper that can take him to one of the frontier planets and he can just disappear. Dockley sneaks out the back. In the main bar... Jenna and Callie stage a cat fight. Awesome. Which allows Blake to sneak into the back and uh, he sees evidence that Dockley's been there and he's left behind his surgical tools. Quantor is still sort of like pissed off that Servalan's basically, you know, being all high and mighty with him and he uh, isn't sort of uh, bowing to his will. And he's getting extremely annoyed as to why uh, Villa is making so much money and they're trying to work out how he's doing it. They They can see that he's putting his hand to his ear but they don't know what he's doing. Uh, Travis goes back to the bar to try and find out uh, where Dockley is, because he wants Dockley to try and fix his arm. Now, this is all part of Servalan's plan. Servalan basically wants Dockley dead. And, but there's, she's arranged, so there's more than one way for it to happen. Either Krantor kills Dockley, and therefore um, extracts a secret, and then he's on the death list, as earlier discussed. Or, Travis gets to Dockley first, and then when Dockley tries to operate on the arm, he'll set the grenade off, and that will kill Travis and Dockley. Meanwhile, because Krantor's overheard Servalan's plan, he's sending out Shevardick and a bunch of other hitmen to try and um, kill Travis before he gets to Dockley. Dockley's waiting uh, in the docking bay to meet with this this planet hopper captain. Travis finds him, and by this point he's got... um, Dockley's surgical tools, which Sheenie's given him. And uh, Blake, Callie and Jenna have followed Travis to the docking ring. Uh, Travis gets into a shootout with Shevardick and his men and kills them. And then uh, Blake pulls a gun on Travis and he asks Dockley where Star One is. Uh, Dockley tells him that he doesn't actually know where Star One is. He never actually uh, saw the brain prints of the people he was raising uh, the memories of. Basically, the reason everyone thinks Dockley knows is Dockley is a cyber surgeon, and all the technicians who worked on, who went to work on Star One, 
had their memories erased by Dockley. But uh, he came to realise that there was no way that Servalan would believe he hadn't taken a copy of the print, so he'd probably get his memory erased as well. So with uh, another cybersurgeon called Lurgan, they faked the last operation, took a copy of Lurgan's brain print, and then they both went on the run. So Dockley says that the one person who does know where Star One is, is Lurgan, and the last that he heard, he was on a planet called Goth. Dockley goes to work on Travis's arm. Uh, they take the arm off, but it turns out that the grenade wasn't primed properly, so it doesn't go off. So Travis grabs his arm, uh, tells Blake to kill him. Blake goes, nah. And so Travis just legs it. He disappears, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, he just, just, he just goes. But do, do we see that on camera? No, no, he, he just sort of leaves. <laughs> exactly. So Meanwhile, in, in the casino, uh, they're now close to uh, five million credits up, Villa and Avon. Villa uh, is making his last spin, because Avon has told him that if he doesn't leave soon, Avon's going to leave, he's going to be on his own. So he, Avon cashes his chips, Crantor invites him into his uh, private sanctum for a drink. When he comes back out again, he announces that Villa has willingly volunteered to go double or nothing to, and play speed chess, at which point Avon spits his lunch everywhere. <laughs> Right into the camera. Right into the camera. By the time Villa sits in the speed chest chair, he suddenly sobers up very quickly and realises where he is and what's going on. But it's too late, the bet's in. So Avon tells him to play, and that Aurak will make the moves for him, which doesn't give uh, Villa much confidence, because the clue is a computer. But they play, and they force a draw. And so they, they walk out of the casino with 10 million credits, Crantor was absolutely crestfallen because yeah, he just blown ten million credits. And at the end, of, at the end of the episode, Avon and Villa are stashing their winnings, and then just in time to teleport Blake back up to the ship and act like nothing's happened. And they go off in search of Lurgan, and that is the end of the episode. Mister Wilson, your thoughts? <laughs> um, I like it. Um, it's it's a very different kind of episode. And I, I wonder if that's because of Robert Holmes being the writer. I think so. I mean, it's very much a twisty-turny, double-cross, triple-cross. I mean, it's like Blake 7 does Ocean's Eleven. Uh, pretty much, yeah. And there are a lot of like very interesting guest characters uh, in here, most of which end up surviving the events of the story. Absolutely, uh, yeah. Right? Rather than just being shot or got rid of, and yeah. um, uh, and not only are there a lot of interesting characters, um, they're all very distinct. Yes, it's fair to say. Um, I mean, Dockley. I mean, pretty much the first character we see, he looks like um, Trevor Reeve from Waking the Dead. In <laughs> And there was a time when I was at, um, when I was doing my history degree when I was at university um, when I really got into Waking the Dead. It was like really compulsive viewing for a year, and then just stopped. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was, <laughs> so that was that was an interesting likeness. Yes. Um, you, you then have Crantor. And, I mean, 
they actually spend time describing the kind of fashion noose of uh, the people within Freedom City. Yeah. Um, to, to which Cranter has, as you say, he had the nerve to tell toys, uh, which is a funny name in itself. Because uh, <laughs> if, you, if you don't see how it's spelt, you just assume it's T-O-Y-S. Yeah. Um, but he, he's got a rather ostentatious wig. And... This is coming from a man with a silver face. Um, <laughs> he's kind of dressed up like a French general come Beetlejuice. Well, the, he's quite specifically modelled on the Prince Regent. He, he does mention that. That's what he, I know that's what he says, but black and white stripes? I've got a history degree. That didn't happen. That's <laughs> why I kind of liked it, though, because it's sort of like, it's history but a bit wrong. Yes, that's fair. So, yeah, it's all like the uh, Chinese whispers history. <laughs> so you've got the kind of Western styles of Dockley and Travis matched up against the actual inhabitants of Freedom Sissy, um, who, are, who are taking to the French Regency in a big way. Yeah. Um, like, like, like the poor bastard who does uh, speed chess the first time. Yes. Um, <laughs> You could, you could not ask for a more stereotypical 18th century Frenchman if you tried. Absolutely. Get me a stereotypical 18th century Frenchman <laughs> and get one now! <laughs> and then that's not to mention the fact that um, the grand chess master, the mighty Clute, yes. um, it's Deep Roy. It is Deep Roy, yes. <laughs> so obviously a very short man and um, after he successfully electrocuted a man just laughs evilly or as evilly as you can uh, with uh, that kind of high-pitched voice D- Did you notice uh, Crantor's Bond villain moment? <laughs> You're asking me if I spotted a Bond villain moment Yes <laughs> There's a moment when uh, Shevardik's saying that they can't find uh, Dockley. Krantor is stood holding a Persian cat and stroking it, and he tells <laughs> Shevardik that he I doesn't tolerate failure. There we go, exactly. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, I, we, we can get more in-depth in Krantor in a second, but if I'm just going round the guest characters in brief, we have Jarrier, the Irish Leosei, um, Javier's function in the plot is simple. He's there to not understand stuff so Servalang can explain what's going on to us. Which is odd because, I mean, she's, she as much as says to him first time, well, obviously the place is bugged. Yeah. So now I'm going to insult Cranstor openly in front of him. Uh, although, t- uh, in fairness, it was Travis who was bugged rather than necessarily the room. Yeah. Um, and we have uh, Chini. Um, you, you know, she was she she got a lot of screen time. Um, arguably, slightly more than a villa. Yes. Um, and then we <laughs> the the croupier. <laughs> yes. Oh my. My my exact note is Zatanna has really let herself go. 
That's fair. <laughs> For those of you who don't know what this woman looks like, imagine Zatanna, but as a woman in her mid-60s, and not looking good on it. And speaking in a French, question mark, accent. Yes. Um, <laughs> and really, only really, of, of the main guest cast, it only really is uh, Jebedick. And, you know, he's, 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 he's a kind of London mobster. Yeah. And that's it, really. <laughs> heavy. I bloody love this episode. This is one of my all-time favourites. It's... Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's a complicated plot, but not in a Chris Boucher way, in a way that kind of holds the interest. And they take time every so often to explain what's going on, but at the same time, lots of stuff is happening and everything moves the plot along to something else. Yeah. It's not just a lot of obscure things happening. I mean, obviously, it, it's, it's kind of well done, and you'd kind of expect of Robert Holmes, really. Um, but it's so different from a kind of what you'd consider a normal Blake Seven story that, I mean, it, it, I mean, it makes for a refreshing watch. Uh, granted, there are certain parallels to um, Shadow, and I mean, I think the story, as, as you say, as much as kind of alludes to it. Because I mentioned, oh, another kind of fabulous city with, with lots of fun and pleasure going on. And again, Aiden's not allowed to, to go down. But, I mean, this one feels a lot more lucid and it's just more interesting overall. Because, I mean, the reason I went through each character is because they have a good amount of time on screen. Not arguably at the expense of the main cast, but we're pretty used to that by this stage. Oh, uh, yes. And, um, you know, and as you said, at least Jenner and Callie were on... I mean, OK, granted, everyone was actually on the surface of the planet, but Jenner and Callie were picked for the main mission. And they took the kind of skills that they learned as the space secretaries of bitching at each other uh, to a new <laughs> level, as, as I did do that that cat fight in the bar, and I mean I I only had a certain amount of time to actually sit down and watch this. I didn't really have a chance to um, listen back. But I, I, I could have sworn that one of them actually called each other a bitch, but yeah, you know, I mean I doubt it did because you know it was BBC in 1979, but. Well, they do, they do insult one another's virtue. I, I believe yes. Je- Jenna calls Callie a ten-credit touch. <laughs> okay. Perhaps not as harsh as I thought. But <laughs> <laughs> and to be fair, it, they, it, they, it was... they do seem to be enjoying themselves as well. I mean, like when they're actually getting kicked out of the bar, they're going, yeah, well, we don't want to come <laughs> back here and everything. And they're just laughing. It's like, God, I, I miss these two being on a mission and having something to do. and It's just fun. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing, because, I mean, Jenna is one of the original three. Yeah. I mean, depending if you count that as the three on the ship or the first three of the regular crew that we see in the first episode, you know. Yeah. And, it, I mean, you can't say that throughout the series she hasn't kind of been wasted. And granted, she gets more to do in the next episode. 
that is not to show my hand, but perhaps one of the best things about the next episode. But it's interesting to see Blake, Jenner and Ali as kind of land crew, and the fact that they, for, for a while, left arguably the more interesting pair of Avon and Villa on the Liberator. Yeah. And again, it's addressed. They said, oh, oh if it was dangerous, if we stick our necks out, they'd send us, wouldn't they? Which, on the face of it, isn't actually all that good an idea, because, as we've said before, Callie is the, you know, the hardened freedom fighter, and we've seen Jenna hold her own, you know, pretty consistently throughout. And, I mean, if you think about it, the women in some ways could be more useful as a land team than Aiden Billock. His one's a computer expert who, you know, he's good in a fight against a woman, but otherwise. <laughs> and, and then you've got Villa. Uh, Ed. So, um, so yeah, I, 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 I think it's perhaps a bit unfair to see Avon and Villa as, as the kind of go-to land crew to assist Lake. But and we're just going back to the Enid Blyton thing, so uh, let, let's scoose away from that. Absolutely. Well, I mean, one of the main highlights of this episode for me is the fact that Servalan is the undisputed queen of everything. Yes, kind of. Um, well, the thing is, her plan worked. Yep. The only thing that didn't work is because she trusted Jarriere to set the grenade in Travis's arm. Absolutely everything else, everything she'd manoeuvred into place was in place. And the only thing that, had that grenade got off, she would have won. The pl- her plan worked. It was the, fact that the one thing she trusted somebody else to do, and that, and that didn't work. But other than that, mm. and she's completely on top of everybody's, everybody else's playing games around her, and she's seeing through everyone straight away. Like when, I'm, yeah. when Crantor calls her and says, oh yeah, we've got Dockley, and, and, and she goes, oh, all right, fair enough. And then she goes, oh, and then later on she's saying to Jerry, yeah, but if Crantor's got Dockley, he'd say, he hasn't got Dockley. He's just, he just overheard me <laughs> saying that I've sent Travis to kill Dockley, so he's just pretending he has. Like, yeah, she's constantly two moves ahead of everyone. I suppose it's a kind of grief we've seen in Servalan over the course of the series, because, I mean, earlier on in the series, she was relying on, uh, granted, the awesomeness of... Um, <laughs> I got so awesome, I've forgotten his name. Carnell! Yeah. Um, as as her like major strategist, and then we've seen in this episode and the last episode, the last episode, that uh, she was at least um, a few steps ahead of those that were trying to play her. Yeah. Um, so we've seen a real. I mean, uh, that's not to say she was naive in the first series, but you, you can see a, a, a degree of growth uh, throughout. My last note for this episode is, does Servlan end up getting her own way? Because as you say, um, you know, as <laughs> had Leo say not completely fucked up, um, you know, <laughs> uh, an Irish Leo saying, um, you know, then, I mean, have her plans been completely ruined or 
are, are there still things to like? Because she, as much as said, her ultimate aim was to justify the, the removal of Freedom City from existence. Um, and, I mean, as much as her last line is saying to Jerry Air through, like, gritted teeth, no, I will still win, won't I? Won't I? Um, because ultimately, the worst thing that happens to Kranto is that he loses a lot of money. Yeah. Through it, kind of, kind of through his own design, kind of because Avon and Villa have cheated him every step of the way. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, he's still in control of Kranto, and uh, Dockley's alive, and Blake has his information. Travis is still alive. Although we we see how inconsequential that is in the next episode. Yep. Um, so okay, she she's not been ultimately she's not been played or anything, but ultimately she hasn't achieved her end goals either. Well, yeah. I mean, the fact that the plan doesn't work means she loses out on a lot. Purely based on tr- trusting one idiot to pull a pin out of a grenade. But. That doesn't stop it from being a very good plan. You know? Oh, no, I, I agree with that. I agree with that, absolutely. But, yeah, yeah I, I would agree with you that, yes, she has lost out a lot purely through one man's mistake. Yeah. But then she's used to that with working with Travis. <laughs> well, with cosplay Travis. Ah, cosplay Travis. Should, should we address cos, cosplay Travis's outfits in this episode? Be my guess. Uh, he's wearing a blanket and a cowboy hat. Just yep. what the hell? <laughs> trying to, he's trying to talk tough. Yep. I mean, he gets one moment where he doesn't manage to sort of outgun uh, Shevard Dick and the heavies, but the rest of the time he's useless. What Stephen Grief would have put up with that kind of shit? <laughs> That's probably why he left. <laughs> it's like we want to do this with Travis this season like no not having sure. that <laughs> why don't I call my cousin <laughs> find some other mug yeah my cousin Brian needs the work <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they're actually cut they're, they're not but, no <laughs> but I mean even so um I mean, if, if we're going from a fashion point of view, at least it's a step up from the Siobhan look. Yeah. But <laughs> I, I suppose um, from, from a more serious analytical point of view, uh, we actually get to see um, his arm being yes. Uh, removed. Yes. And then uh, uh, what did Travis you... waving it around angrily. Yes. Now... Dave, what year did Terminator come out? Uh, Terminator was the early 80s, I believe. Oh, right, okay. So not quite the late 70s. Yeah, uh, this would have predated uh, Terminator. Yeah, oh yeah. I, I would have thought it would be a, a few years before, but... Um, I think Terminator was like 82, 83, maybe. Right. All I'm saying is there's a difference in effects. There is. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, I mean, largely I agree. I think um, he he has the odd moment here and there, but ultimately, you know, he he's suddenly thrown in as the bodyguard of the kind of MacGuffin character of the episode. Yeah. Again, I mean, you know, he'd been captured by the Federation in the previous episode. And you think the only way he could get out of that fix is if Servalan had decreed it. But then he meets Servalan later and he's surprised to see her. Yeah. And and they're on fairly antagonistic terms again. And he just disappears at the end of the episode. And then he's back for employ. Well, if you think that's bad inter-episode continuity, you wait till we get to the next one. Well, <laughs> well let, let's hold off on the next one just for now. But, yes. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, at this point, the Travis character, uh, he, he's a detriment, really. It, He's an embarrassment, really, at this point, isn't he? I mean, that fight when he gets, he's getting cornered by Shevardik's men. And oh, he, yeah. He's fighting, he just kind of flings his arm out and goes, ah! And they, they just punch him. Yeah. It's Travis. This is a guy who's like a... He's meant to be like a, a master strategist and, you know... Badass space marine. Ruthless, merciless... You know, a, a, a guy who can hold his own in a fight. He's like, he's taken out in a punch. As if he was attacking WCW's tank. So, what's wrong? But it's like, how did he fall so far? I know. Uh, anyway, well, should we move on to the... Uh, uh, the more high, the, the bigger highlights of the episode, rather yes, than the yes. detrimental, utter embarrassments. Well, I mean, to be honest, I, I think if you take away Travis, then I, I think most of it really works very well. I mean, Crantor is an amazing character. <laughs> he looks into the camera throughout. Yeah, I mean, and Aubrey Woods, <laughs> the man playing him, is, is clearly just relishing. Every second of screen yes. time, getting. He's like, <laughs> not since Carnell has a man thrown himself so utterly into a part of you know such scene stealing. I mean, it is really like, he's just taking the scene <laughs> and running away with it, flicking the beat. Yeah, <laughs> he gets a lot of time as well. But there's, I mean, there's also like a layer to him as well. I mean, like you. You kind of get the impression that underneath all this sort of, you know, grandiose, flamboyant conversation, there's actually like a like a very angry kind of thuggish guy because you know he runs Freedom City. I'm, I'm pretty sure he didn't do that just by being sort of you know flamboyantly nice to people. Yeah, I mean, he's um, essentially a mobster. Oh, he's absolutely a mobster, but he's one of the campest mobsters. Oh yes, you could you could ever see. He's it's he's one step like... away from being like a sixties Batman villain. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and all the better for it. He's just so much fun. I just love every second he's on screen. <laughs> I mean, Serverland approaches 
Yeah. Uh, you know, he says, okay, have a seat. And there's just this gigantic kind of bed <laughs> thing, which she perches on, and then he lounges next to her. And, oh, dis- discretion. <laughs> Tries to feed her hallucinogenics. Yes. How sad. Have a cake. <laughs> oh, Crantor's just awesome. <laughs> and and in, in toys, he does have a fantastic sidekick as well. Like, like toys, he's sort of slightly more fussy and more highly strung. Well, I know. He actually snaps at him at the end. Yep. Just like, oh, this is all your fault. <laughs> you screwed up, Roy. You lack affection. Because uh, <laughs> it is him, isn't it? It is him, yes. Yeah, yes. yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, it's interesting to see, on the one hand, his mob's side when he's caught up with the serious business, and yeah. then his his showman side when he's he because he's in both of the kind of concurrent plots. He is, yes. <laughs> he's, he's there interjecting with the Avon and Villa subplots. And as much as it perhaps isn't needed, it's a hilarious distraction. Yes. I mean, it's probably the lightest kind of material Paul Darrow has had to work with, I don't know, since probably Megax. Um, yeah. <laughs> and he, he, he's just there going... We could make a lot of money out of this. And then, you know, as, as you say, tricking Orak into essentially helping them con out a, a casino. Um, well, I think the, the genius of it is that Avon knows that Orak always loves to prove that he's right and other people are wrong. Oh, yeah. It's complete so, manipulation. Yeah, so they, they manipulate him because he's sort of saying to... Uh, well, Vinam and I were just discussing the concept of molecular reduction. And I would just say the, the idea is quite... <laughs> were <absurd>. we? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that, that whole exchange is fantastic. This is how they sort of con him into sort of shrinking a bit. Yeah. But then, in a way, um, Avon quickly learns to regret the scheme. Uh, partly because he has a certain amount of distaste for, well, in fairness, if you see 60-year-old Zatanna, um, what, <laughs> introduce people to execution speed chess with midget, then <laughs> it does seem, it does seem like, like, execution speed chess isn't enough. So execution <laughs> speed chess, I'm not interested. Execution speed chest with midgets? I'm on board. Where do I sign? There we go. Dress up as a Regency Frenchman and try your luck. Um, and, and play speed chess, apparently, on a Commodore 64. <laughs> Those wonderful cutting-edge it... 8-bit graphics. <laughs> it did show its age slightly, didn't it? It did a little bit, unfortunately, yeah. yeah. Well, is it? 32 years on. <laughs> About that, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So you get to see Avon's growing taste of the, the whole thing. Not least the fact that Villa is loving what he's doing throughout. To the yeah. point where he's, he's like threatening, look, I'm going to leave. <laughs> um, 
And, well, of and, course, Miller's loving it. He's sat there with like you know three drinks in his hand, getting royally shit faced, yes. and winning and winning and winning, and getting to play the high roller. He's yes. having the time of his life. Uh, and Vay's like, yeah, there's nothing suspicious about this camp Beetlejuice inviting me in for a drink. Uh, <laughs> I'll do that. <laughs> camp Beetlejuice. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, and <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just, and I've got to go back to it. Avon Spit Take. Yes. Again, Paul Darrow, I love the guy. He's not a naturalistic actor. He's not, no. He, he comes it from was... a very, very different, <laughs> high end, highly strong style of acting. It was pretty much the director saying, okay, I'm going to count you down three. Two, one, <laughs> and all I can say, it's like they said, Paul, could you get some food at that camera? They haven't told him why. <laughs> exactly. Um, I, I suppose it adds a element of peril, but um, <laughs> we get that thrilling one-minute speed chess climax. Yes. But, <laughs> I mean, at best, it means that, you know, Krantor is defeated by his own kind of showmanship. Although, I did, I, I laughed really hard when uh, people said, I'll get out, I want to get out. Well, if you want to get out, then you're going to forfeit your five million credits winnings. Villa, uh, the, the Avon, uh, the, yeah, it is Villa. Villa, you must play. That's <laughs> Avon's <laughs> like. Right, sod you, we need the money. So, <laughs> <laughs> if there's a chance to keep it, we will. That's the bizarre thing. They don't need the money. The Liberator is full of cash. <laughs> it's been established. There's rooms and rooms full of money. What have they spent it on? <laughs> well, clearly they're costumes. <laughs> Has Blake blown all the Liberator's cash on massive sleeves? <laughs> and and uh, Callie went to the hairdressers. That's true, yeah. yeah. Just for, <laughs> for the Callie had to, had to buy evening gowns for a night out in Space City. There's now just some money left <laughs> for the Liberator. Well, there we go. They had a pampered spa day. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, I, I suppose we haven't really talked about uh, Doherty in the grand scheme of things. Well, as you say, Doherty's kind of the MacGuffin, really. Yeah. It, doesn't, it doesn't get much in the way of character development other than the fact that, you know, he's a bit of a drunk and he's been on the run for a long time. Yeah. And that's pretty much what he does. Uh, I suppose there's a, a, a degree of exposition at the end of the episode. Yeah, I mean, but, uh, I mean that's all he's really there to do. It's like because like the search for Star One has turned into like an old episode of Treasure Hunt with Annika Rice. Every time they get to like a <laughs> somewhere where it might be, they have to find another clue. They go, ah, here is your clue to the next yeah. person who might know where Star One is. Well, in fairness, that's the definition of a treasure hunt. Absolutely. <laughs> I need to bring Annika Rice into it. <laughs> um, but I, I, I'm just saying that because I was too young for it. But 
uh, it was an interesting thing, but I mean, the kind of relationship between uh, Doppel and um, the barmaid, uh, yeah, Gina. It's just like there, there was a kind of spark between the two, but that's all it was. She was just kind of helping him out of the kindness of her heart. Yeah, I'd say that's quite one of the. It's one of the weaker parts of the episode because, like, Chidi's all of a sudden sort of hiding him and helping him escape and everything. But, like, she only just met him at the start of the episode. It's not like they've known each other for any period of time. So you don't really get why she's doing all of this for him. And all it would really take is an extra line or two or something yeah. like that just to explain, you know, sometimes a stranger once helped her out or... Yeah, she she's indebted to a, a fellow surgeon or something like that. But having, she, having said that, in the great scheme of things, there's so much other good stuff going on in the episode. It's it's hard to sort of be too hard on the uh, on the slightly weaker bits. Oh yeah, I mean, in fairness, I mean, at least they gave her, you know, screen time and characterization. Oh yeah, it's yeah. not like she, it's not like she just walked on and said. I can get you out of here. Me, part of the bastard. <laughs> um, you know, you know, she's she's there from the opening scene. So, yeah. I mean, in general, I do like the the amount of time everyone's given, and the fact that Ave and Villa are comparatively downplayed as to the the kind of screen time they normally get. Um, you know, it didn't work to the the episode's detriment because in small doses, they were absolutely fine. I, th- I think they're, they're, they're kind of like Servalan in that they are such strong characters that you can use them to a kind of lesser extent and they're still going to shine. Oh, yeah. Whereas, yeah. I mean, whereas someone like Callie or to an extent Jenna, they kind of need more time um, ju- just so that they can really get a look in in the episode, because you know they, they've got back histories, they've they've got interesting traits, yeah. But if they're not used in a certain way, they can get lost in the shuffle, as we've seen throughout most of this season. Absolutely, yeah, I I, I agree. Um, is there any more to say about Gambit? Do you think? I think we've covered the main bases. Should we go to the feedback we have for the episode? Absolutely. Well, we'll go to Garrus first. Uh, he said, uh, Seriously, are my eyes playing tricks, or did I just see uh, Raker from the London and cosplay Travis in the same shot? To answer no, I, that... I, I thought that. I thought that. To answer that question, that's not Raker, but that is Tel Varen from the very first episode. The lawyer. The lawyer... <laughs> There we go. Because I, I thought he looked familiar, but wow. <laughs> yeah. He, he continues, uh, I think this finally hammers home how bad cosplay Travis is. I'm, I'm very happy everybody's using that now. <laughs> it's my, it's it's my like, one hope that it bleeds over into mainstream Blake 7 fandom. If, if, if I, I will slap that on my gravestone, coiner Cosplay Travis. Don't, don't steal it from me, Probert. It was mine. I wouldn't dream of it. 
good, good. So in this episode, we get what can be described as Avon's 3 in reference to Ocean's 13. The mini Orac and Villa all go to on a heist in Freedom City. The great thing is they get away with it. Blake, Jenna and Callie, who must have put, who must have put the phones onto the answer machine, have, <laughs> have no clue what they're up to and would never have agreed to it. Who do, a, who do very little in the show apart from the girls having a, a sadly off-screen catfight? You've been spoiled on the WWE, my friend. <laughs> uh, did I see a modern... Did I see Modern Who do a homage to Speed Chess recently? Blake Seven did it first and had the balls to kill the loser. You got to love Servalan here. She's outsmarting everyone and almost in a way playing her own game of chess with the people. Anyway, this is a great episode, and to borrow from the good Org's book, this one is worth seven Avons. Ah, good. Again, thank you for that, Gareth. And I'm not quite sure what he meant by the Who reference. I, I'm not sure either, to be honest with you. I, nothing immediately springs to mind. I mean, I, I'm not saying it hasn't happened, I just can't recall where. Anyway, speaking of the orgs, <laughs> Peter and Amory have sent us some feedback for Gambit. So, uh, let's, let's see how this affected them. Right. Hello. Hello. It's Peter, Robert Smythe Appreciation Club member number 326. And Anne-Marie, Derek Southern Appreciation Society and membership number 302. We love our extras. <laughs> I'm starting to recognise them. It's sad, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is a bit, I suppose. Speaking of sad, Oh, fun. bloody hell, yeah. I did tweet about this. I made a bit of a faux pas. Yeah, okay, so it's like, which which episode are we going to review? Well, Oh, well, the first one up is Gambit. Yeah. And you, you said? Is that the one with the clit in it? The clit. Apologies to Deep Roy. <laughs> clit. Yeah, it was the clue. The clute. Not the clout. Speed jazz. Where did she find that accent? She's like my nan. It's scary. Yeah, she does look exactly like your nan. It is kind of scary. Yeah, and she's got big Bridget Jones pants. She's one of a million things wrong with this episode, let's face it. <laughs> one million credits. You've got, uh, following on from his epic appearance as Shivan, oh. we've got... <laughs> Clit Eastwood. Clit Eastwood, yes. Cosplay Travis as Clit Eastwood. Oh dear. One of us has to see street. Clearly that was what he was aiming for, and he just sounds so shit. Yes. What else do we have in this that's really awful? Yes, well, of course, you know, we, we have to get very excited about Speed Jess. Yeah. Played on a... Looks like DOS. Yes, it does. (laughs) I can remember playing you at that when we first got together. was more than 15 years ago. Incredible graphics. Yeah. (laughs) And you know what really did my head in the entire time? In the bar, they're playing the music from Button Moon. It does rather sound like that, doesn't it? I mean, the sets generally are pretty shoddy. Yes. Um, some of it seems to have been filmed in a car park that's oh. been bedecked with tinsel. And a few balloons. <laughs> a bit of Lametta that makes... Well, our old cat used to make us... Serverland's room's got a very random swing bed. Yes, it's purple, which is nice, but it, it's swinging for some reason. And right? also it's got bits of the TARDIS set on the side. Yeah. With those roundels on it. Very odd. And then you've got a bar that's full of 1920s gangsters for some reason, plus Dracula and a nun. <laughs> Random costumes. Ah, I'll tell you what, you could be Dracula. It could play with fangs as well. But then, talking of costume fail, 
Dockley doesn't appear to be able to put his coat on. I know! <laughs> what is that about? <laughs> he can't get his arms in it, and then in the end he just gives up and puts it over his shoulder. <laughs> then you've got Travis wants his arms off. With his Quite blatantly his has pocket. his hand in his pockets. <laughs> Although, when he's out on Serverland's funny swingy bed, he's got his hand on his crotch the entire time. So that wasn't great. But there's there's much in this that's really, really good. I mean, the characters are so well written. What, even Derriere? Even Derriere, or whatever his uh, name was. Was it Jerriere? Oh, yes. I don't know. It sounded it, like Derriere. As, uh, Travis describes him as, looks like a powder poof. Oh, oh my life. Oh. Another reason to hate Travis. Oh dear. But then you've got Krantor and toys. Yeah. And Krantor's cat, of course. He does very well. Great yeah. acting from that cat. And you've got the wonderful play between Krantor and Serverland. Supreme Commander Serverland. Yes. And with sort of plots and counterplots going on with that. You've got Jenna and Callie actually get something to do. They do. Oh, I do love their fake bitch fight. The fake bitch fight. <laughs> <laughs> Not great, is it? Oh dear. You're just a ten credit touch. Yes, quite. Compared to uh, prostitutes to begin with by uh, Chini. Yeah. And then get felt up by Cleverdick or Chevedick yes, or whatever. Yeah. Nobody seems to know how to pronounce his name. No. <laughs> oh, so much good in this. Um, yeah, but I mean, the characters are just wonderful, aren't they? Every single one, even Cleverdick, who's not exactly a big part, is actually quite fun. Yeah. So the whole thing shouldn't work. But it does. Yeah, it's, it's great fun seeing a. What's the Red bit... Dwarf line? It's like a banana cheese and chutney sandwich or whatever it was. It, the, the individual ingredients are wonderful. Put them together as a sandwich. It shouldn't work, but it's lovely. And that's kind of what we get left with here, really. It's just great fun. Well, it is great fun seeing Avon and Villa. Oh, yes, of course. That's the together. other good bit. Avon and Villa working together to, to um, swindle them out of huge amounts of money. Although the way they shrink Orac is a bit unbelievable, I can't help feeling. And, yeah. and also Villa is blatantly giving the game away, the way he's got his hand up yeah. talking into his bracelet all the time. He's like, well, he's not well, talking duh. into, he's listening to, isn't yeah. he? But yeah, but then be the, honest. But acting like guilty school kids <laughs> when Blake and the others beam back up again. It's yeah. just wonderful. So, absolutely brilliant episode, for, but despite the fact that it's absolute pants at the same time. <laughs> yes, yes. And, um, yeah, I, I am sorry, Mr. Deep Roy, for calling yes. you a clit. Sorry. God bless, guys. Bye. Bye. Well, thanks once again for that, Peter and Amory. Well, no, the clit, you. eh? <laughs> thank God we're explicit rated on iTunes. Oh, yes. The clit challenges you to speed, yes. Uh. I'd expect better of a vicar. I'm trying to wonder now if speed chess cannot be used as some sort of euphemism. <laughs> With a midget. I was up late last night. I challenged the clip to speed chess. <laughs> God. <laughs> Don't want to know where you put that rook. <laughs> it's where you find room for a bishop that worries me. <laughs> got the church into trouble in the first place yes all those actresses <laughs> uh, yes there is that bit where uh, Dockley and Sheedy are talking and, and while they're talking he's clearly trying to sort of put on his coat while, t- while they're talking but the coat's clearly gone wrong so there's some yes. two throwing and Dockley's like, oh, fuck it. Just sort of throws it over his shoulder and leaves. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, shall we, uh, we plough on? 
Right, We're not even sure that Lurgan was here. Zockerly had no reason to lie. Some people don't need a reason. True, but let us assume that the Keeper of the Secret is somewhere down there on the planet Goth, and that the Keeper is a royal personage. Lurgan's brain print is on a thong around a chief's neck, that's what Dockerly said. Or he said it was Lurgan's brain that was on a thong. That might not be the same thing. If you find the brain print and consequently the location of Star One, what then? Finish what we started. Destroy it. Of course. And the entire Federation with it. Does that bother you suddenly? Star One is the automatic computer control center for the entire Federation. Get to the point, Avon. That is the point. Through Star One, we could control everything. The Federation could belong to us. I could be president. Ah. Well, we could take it in turns. You ready to go, Villa? Why not? Now, that would be worth the risks we're taking. Blake is afraid that power would corrupt him. That sort of power would corrupt anyone. Okay, so our next episode is The Keeper. Mr. Wilson, best of luck. <laughs> Challenge accepted. <laughs> right. Okay, so we start the episode on board the Liberator where the crew are essentially kind of recapping the last three minutes or so with what they've learned from Dockley about um, essentially um, how they can best find out how to get to Star One and but they need to track down his fellow surgeon. Surgeon Lurgeon. Um, <laughs> and uh, that means they're heading to the planet Goth and um, even suggests you know why don't we actually take over um, Star Wars instead because then we'd have mastery of the universe but uh, Blake's a, 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 a tad sceptical because he thinks absolute power could absolutely corrupt which is a fair deal and you know we're suggesting the idea Avon. Um, of, of course, Villa sees the, the fun side of that, going, cool, I could be president. And Avon goes, ah. <laughs> so he, he sees the flaw in his own design as well. Um, so essentially, uh, they reach Goth and they go down, they being Blake, Villa, and Jenna. Uh, Goth is a slightly toxic planet, and as such, um, a lot of the inhabitants, the Goths, uh, so quite the odd few of them are kind of tinted yellow, slightly, as if it was the Simpsons planet. <laughs> um, so they go down and take a look. However, the, the Goths, who are a kind of Viking design, um, they're, they're out patrolling, and essentially they ambush uh, the three of them and it ends up with Jenna and Villa being captured Blake, I mean, Villa has a good stab at uh, trying to escape uh, and, and tries to teleport up um, however, the Liberator has moved out of range because Avon and Callie have spotted a ship that they're pretty sure is Travis's ship um, so they move out of range to uh, destroy it, uh, which they do. So, uh, ding dong, the witch is dead, <laughs> seemingly. Um, however, this doesn't help uh, Villa, who gets captured. Blake, who was looking like he would get captured because he took um, a hilarious backflip fall over a rock. Um, he, he comes to uh, 
Um, and, and has the odd action moments, and it involves bludgeoning someone with a log and avoiding Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves-esque crossbows, uh, which uh, shoots out exploding arrows. And just when it looks he's, he's about to be killed by one of these arrows, uh, the Liberator's back in range, and he teleports back up. Avon screams at Blake about losing the crew. Blake screams at Avon for uh, not being there at the time. And um, Avon's response is, hello, we, we got Travis, didn't we? So um, <laughs> the plan is that Blake will go back, and if uh, he hasn't brought the rest of the crew back in six hours, then uh, Avon and Callie will uh, come back and... Uh, uh, act as reinforcements. So uh, Callie again spends the entire episode on the Liberator. Um, meanwhile, within the cave, <laughs> uh, the the forthcoming of Generan Villa is forewarned by the sister of the king, um, whose name kind of flits between Charles, which I believe is a kind of title or surname. But he keeps referring to himself as uh, it's um, a title. I think it's what the uh, like, yeah the, the chief of the tribe's called. Right, fair enough. Because his his given name is Ola, and uh, his sister uh, says, "Well, uh, we have two strangers coming towards us. One a fool, and one a beautiful woman, um, which is, can only be Villa and Jenna, clearly." Um, now. Um, the fool is re- resentful of, of Villa. Um, Hang on a minute. Have, have, haven't you left out who is with Gola at, the, at this point at the start of the episode? Uh, Gola, the witch, and the fool? Yes, but, but who else walks in just before oh, right. Jenna right, and okay. Villa do? Okay. Uh, and, and remember yes. to inter- introduce him properly with the proper noise. Right. Essentially, yeah, sorry. This somehow slips my brain. Um, because it turns out a good friend of the barbaric Ingola is Cosplay Travis. <laughs> and, you know, he, he kicks over a, a Jessa, which is probably the best thing he's done all season, but, um, <laughs> yeah, I was drinking when you said that. that was a... <laughs> as, as, as he pops in for a cup of coffee and then leaves. Um, what does he do? <laughs> he shows up to show that he's there and then buggers off again. Exactly. It's just like, ha, huh, Avon didn't kill me at all. <laughs> um, <laughs> so... So yes, um, the, the fool is resentful of Villa, and um, it, as if we didn't need to hear the witch called Jenna Beautiful, Gola or Shal proceeds to call her that another several times, and um, <laughs> and uh, so essentially we we can see how this is going to affect his kind of odd medieval Viking kind of court as um, 
Jenna is going to become the consort and Villa is going to uh, become the new fool. Um, meanwhile, it's not just... Obviously, where Travis is, Servalan will undoubtedly follow. And um, But she is introduced lounging around in white fur eating fruits. Awesome. I stopped. I stopped the file for ten minutes, and then came back. back. Yes, um, and Travis is just working for her again. She, okay, we'll get back to this, we'll get back to this, but he's working for her again, for whatever reason, and they note that uh, the ship's been blown, up and that the liberators above and you know Blake Book's coming too close so uh, essentially they need to blow up the liberator so um, uh, Travis says that he'll uh, you know he'll take Serpland's ship and uh, go and go and rouse some Federation troops um, overacting massively as he does so but that's neither here or there. It, it, it's cosplay, Travis. So, um, we we have the kind of... <laughs> that uh, uh, Very, very sweetly, the producers decided to insert a children's drawing of the Liberator. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not sure. Perhaps they won a competition on, on Blue Peter, say. Um... So, Zen picks up the fact that um, Travis has uh, taken a ship, not knowing that it's Travis, but um, even having, you know, caused a very close call of, of nearly <laughs> getting the crew killed by his um, surprisingly fervent efforts to get Travis killed, goes, that's Servalan, let's get her. But uh, this time, Callie puts her foot down. And um, even essentially spends the rest of the episode sulking. That's <laughs> that's pretty much the last thing we really see of anyone. Um, so they don't go off to to get the ship. Um, so Blake has uh, been exploring the surface of the planet again, and um, essentially he comes across a load of these Viking gods. Uh, torturing Obelix the Gaul um, <laughs> from the popular French cartoon series. Um, so Blake shoots two of the Goths dead, rescues Obelix, and uh, the two join forces to uh, make their way to headquarters. Uh, because it turns out he also hates Irvlan and Travis. And Blake's actually not surprised to hear, I mean, granted, in the Avon's blown up Travis's ship. I don't think he's too surprised to hear about Travis, but the news that Servland's been there doesn't really faze him, or surprise him at least. Um, so we get back to inside Gola's course, and uh, again, Jenna's beautiful. Yes, yes, she's beautiful. And um, uh, for whatever reason, Villa looked at the guy's armpit and um, is bitched for his trouble. Uh, fairly rightly, because it's well, no, no, a, he, an odd thing to do. To be fair, he's looking out of his armpit because he's trying to look at the back of his amulet. 
All right. Uh, it should be stated at this point that uh, the data transfer that they're looking for uh, is meant to be on the back of, of an amulet. Uh, we think someone who's kind of guys royal blood or something like that. Yeah, a, a um, person of royal blood. Yes. So obviously Go is the likely suspect. Um, so um, Go learned, he he overacts slightly. It's fair to say uh, he calls Travis a refugee to explain their friendship, and um, as, essentially adopts Villa as as his jester. And um, says pretty much tells Jennifer um, he's going to rape her, one way or the other. Pair bond. Pair bond is the term used. Yes, but yes, in in my notes it does say all hail King Rapey. Yeah, he is going to pair bond Jenna right in the (laughs) kneecaps. Oh, it's a call back to the first series. I like it. Oh, you, it, it, it's been a while since we've used that. Uh, well played, the, sir. The, well played. Uh, I was pretty proud of that when I wrote it down. <laughs> <laughs> a euphemism for cunt is something of pride. Honestly. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, so we, we, we cut to outside the cave uh, where Obelix is uh, Blake and uh, Blake does a pretty sweet double axe handle flying wrestling move uh, to the goth guard um, so that they can gain entry into the cave Uh, we cut back to the runner up picture in the draw the liberator competition um, because they they must have broken like the 3D model that they used to suspend on a wire to indicate the liberator was turning. I don't know. They've got arts and crafts seg- segues in between scenes. It's really odd. Um, uh, anyway, so um, Blake and Oblix go down to the. Isn't, what's his name? Rod. His name. I was going to say, his name's not Obelix, is it? I mean, like, yes, no, he does it's, a lot like Obelix, but for the record, we should state that his name's Rod. That's fairly bland in comparison. Fair enough, carry on calling him Obelix. I support this. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so, Obelix uh, tells Blake to just jolly well stay in the cells and not wander off. Blake, Blake seemingly has every intention of doing the exploring for himself. Uh, but uh, Obelix wants to get his band of men into the cave so that they can storm it. Um, he needs to get hold of Asterix and the rest of them. Asterix, uh, make sure he gets some magic potion yes. um, from Getafix. From Getafix, um, yeah. Yeah, and, and he can uh, guess, guess all the rest of the ghouls. Apart from Cacophonix. Um, yeah, because he, he'd just sing and it'd start raining and the whole thing would be a disaster. Exactly, exactly. He'd, he'd be useless. Yeah. Um, so... Fish mungics. No, it's unhygienics. Unhygienics, it. yes, yes. And somatics. Yep. And geriatrics. 
Chief Vital Statistics. <laughs> vital Statistics, yeah. And that's pretty much all of the noteworthy ones, so moving on. Actually, um, I think it turns out jo- Geriatrix is going to sell near Blake, isn't he? <laughs> he is a cross between Geriatrix and the Yellow Bastard from City. Uh, yes. Because <laughs> he's bright yellow. Well, you know, there is sulfur in the atmosphere. Well, okay, Simpsons land. Okay, never mind. Um, So, uh, Blake finds this old man. This old man kind of scares him in the cells and just just starts wailing. And meanwhile, Jenna knows that, um, you know, there there is every intention for this kid to... Uh, very much pair bond. So uh, she goes and speaks to uh, his sister, who's who's a witch, who gets all her readings from the vapors. <laughs> so I mean, she's a creepy woman to begin with. Um, and you know, who, who who would honestly say, "I can see why my brother wants to pair bond with you." It's, <laughs> that's that's not something a sister. I'm looking at your B-gat through the vapours. <laughs> Good God. So, um, so, you know, Jenna, I mean, she gets a pretty substantial steam with this woman. She tries to, you know, play her and as much information out of her as possible and is convinced, well, in the end, convinces her to, to take a look at the back of the amulet. But in a way... Um, the witch sis knows that um, she isn't the one. She, well, she knows the answers anyway, but she's she's not really going to give it out for, for no reason. Um, so after, after they, they have a, like, a kind of random staring contest as well, which I believe is to symbolise the papers. And uh, after Jenna is ultimately disappointed to find that uh, the witch doesn't have... Uh, the imprint on the back of her amulet. Uh, the witch cackles hysterically as the camera zooms onto one of the kind of hanging skull chandeliers within her room. This, I mean, this must be why they, they, they're getting children's drawings for, like, scene intentions. So they're, they're blowing the, the budget on skull furniture. Uh, anyway, um... So, we we get to see uh, Gola wrestling for some random reason. Uh, Jenna starts putting the, um, the, the, the she she kind of play, plays up to the fact that she's going to be pair bonded <laughs> and and acts with uh, with affection. Um, uh, and, and they end up playing a jolly game. Well. Um, he, he, he puts a kind of crown on her, um, and, and then they play a merry game of checkers in some kind of way. And then um, all of a sudden, Servaland walks in and um, says, "Yeah, she totally let you win that um, because this is a very intelligent woman, and you're an idiot." Um, and he's like, oh, "I'm not an idiot. I'm the king." The king, um, so it, 
So Servland just says, yeah, you, you come over and meet me in my hut in an hour. Okay? Um, and after, after he does that, uh, Jay's like, of course I didn't let you win. And then uh, the original fool who's been jealous of Villa throughout, because Villa is that much better at being a fool than he is, um, essentially throws Villa's voice says, yeah, she'll let you in. Yeah, she'll let you in. And uh, go, we can't take for his ego. <laughs> I'll say that again. Um, his ego just can't take this whatsoever. Um, so he has Villa sent down below, to which he means... Banah! Yeah. He sails in the caves where Blake's currently hiding beside. Um... And um, Villa is ultimately happy to see Blake, but asks Blake to free him from a cell. Villa asks Blake to free him from a cell. Yeah, anyway. Um, so, so they have a bit of interplay. Um, essentially, Villa has to stay in the cell just so that the cover isn't blown, and he's a bit disturbed by the old man. Um... So, uh, <laughs> it does lead to a very good line, I know, where Blake says, where's Jenna? And Villa's like, oh, she's just pair bond with the chief. And Blake says, oh, good. <laughs> not knowing what it means. Um, so, J- Jenna is not pair bonding with the chief, um, but she's actually uh, going to speak to Servalan, and they trade pleasant trees and again it's, it's a really nice scene of seeing showing what Jenna is capable of because she really hasn't had very much interaction with Servlan if any and yet um, they hold their own pretty well and Servlan ends it saying you know what I might not just k- kill you because it would be more satisfying to see you living an eternity with Gola um, which is you know, it's it's pretty cutting. Um, so um, Jenna does go back to um, her, her her pair bonder, but um, she feigns giddiness in order to get the fool sent to prison and bringing Villa back up um, there. And so uh, this exchange happens, and Blake doesn't reveal himself to the fool. Uh, only noting that the fool feels an affection for the old uh, prisoner in the cell uh, beside him, and likes to call him master. So, um, uh, Blake finally uh, hears back from Oblix, who uh, says that uh, his men are in the tunnels and they're going to go up and uh, get at, uh, at uh, his brother, um, whilst Villa is uh, entertaining the royal couple, um, whilst also in code letting Jenna know that Blake is nearby, uh, which which Jenna taps onto. And um, Obelix makes his presence known. The witch uh, has always predicted that the two of them are going to uh, fight. And it ends with a, a kind of duel where the two of them uh, both have their own kind of mace glove in their right hand, and then uh, gauntlets connected by a chain uh, in their left hand. 
So they fight all over the, the chamber, and um, Obelix actually goes down. Uh, it's the bad guy that wins, um, only for him to be poisoned soon after. <laughs> which, um, again, the, the witch kind of foretold. Um, and with those two out of the picture, she reveals to Blake's crew that uh, the actual person they were looking for was uh, the old man in the cells, because he turns out to be the father of the three of them, and uh, the brothers deposed him and then fought for uh, overall supremacy of the planet. Um, so it ends up with the witch becoming queen and cackling away to herself madly. Um, the old man, who's been like pretty ill throughout, uh, has pretty much finally given up the ghost. But as the fool kind of uh, sings for him uh, as he dies... Um, and, and as it's noted that Travis has actually taken the brain print for himself um, apparently it, the, the print is well obviously it's, it's lodged within his brain and um, Blake has essentially been given through, through some such nonsense uh, the code word so that um, the fool actually activates it and uh, starts telling all the details they need to know. Um, so the Liberator crew get back up to the Liberator. Avon's a bit pissy, but that's been him the entire episode. And um, it ends with the, the crew setting forth to Star One. And that's me done. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, please, give me a bit more than that. <laughs> Fuck this episode. Oh. Yeah. I'm so, I'm so happy that last month I learnt the word baby chest, because if ever there was a <laughs> baby chest episode of Blake 7, it's this one. This borders on, borders on making the web look like a fucking masterpiece. This is shit. It's, it's not just, good. It's shit. It's awful. I hate <laughs> this episode. I hate it so much. I only mm. watched it like tonight at the last minute because I, I was just dragging my heels because I didn't want to watch it again. It's so crap. You... It's filler. It, nothing happens. Nothing of any note happens for about like a good 80% of the episode. Basically, like, the major thing that happens is Blake finds out the location of Star 1, and it turns out Travis knew first. That could have been done in 10 minutes, in an entirely different and better episode. So, in my head, you know, when I mentally compile uh, Season 2 of Blake 7, this episode doesn't exist. I watch Gambit, and I st- skip straight to Star 1. I fucking hate The Keeper, because it's rubbish. Utter crap. Another string to uh, Mr. Alan Pryor's bow. Oh. After the wackiness of Hostage. Yeah. And and indeed Horizon. Yeah. Well, I mean, out of the three of them, Horizon's probably the best. I I wouldn't call... I mean, Horizon had a few dodgy moments, but it wasn't... It was actually quite a good episode. Whereas, this is just balls. 
I'm not going to dispute that this is a bad episode. It is a bad episode. <laughs> it now, is a bad episode. There's, there's plenty wrong with it, it's fair to say. Um, I don't think it's as bad as the web. Uh, I did. There were certain things that coloured me in this episode's favour. But it's really not good. Um, Shall should, should I get the positives out of the way, though? Go on, get it. Let's say something in favour. In, in the name of balance. In the name of balance. Because, you know, that's, that's essentially what I'm here to do. Yes. Um, it's, a, it's a counterpoint to the, the rage of Dave Probert. <laughs> <laughs> As found in that uh, Transformers episode you once did. Oh, my. Oh, my. Let's, okay. let's not talk about that again. Okay. No, no, no. Um, okay. So, first and foremost... Jenna had a load to do in this episode. Um, That's true. To, to the extent that it almost made up for the fact she's been kind of on the sidelines for most of the season. Um, it's not just so much a case of screen time, but what she was given to do at the same time. Um, we got to see Jenna use her intelligence um, to do the fact-finding, to try and find out, okay... Uh, is it the witch who has the proper data-stamped amulet? Is it um, King Rape uh, who has the amulet in question? Etc., etc. And the way she kind of manipulates the king, and uh, then she has a, her own scene with Servalan as well, which I think is pretty much a first. Uh, well, she had that moment in Pressure Point when she had Servalan captured, but other than that, yeah. Yeah, but that's like... But most of that happened off-screen. That's true. To the but, extent uh, of fan fiction. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that scene with Sir Vlad is good. I'll, I'll grant you that. But most of the time, everyone can go, oh, you are a beautiful woman. Oh, what a beautiful woman you are. She's just sort of there to be lusted over. And then, like, you can... Occasionally on her face, she just looks fed up of it. <laughs> you can almost see, like, once again, Sally and Ivette making a mental note to call her agent. Well, I will, ag- I will agree that the general tone of the royal family is consistent to a creepy extent. Yes. Um, but I like the way that the character dealt with it uh, at the same time, because essentially she just had to stall for time as much as possible. Yeah. Um, and, you know, try and look out for Villa at the same time. Um, <laughs> um I suppose Villa was at his amusing best uh, in this episode as well. Um, Again, he he just, for me, just sort of served no purpose. He was there to do a few tricks and get the jester angry. (laughs) Successfully. Successfully, yes. It's like like inducing jester rage. That's the the, the (laughs) sole purpose of the story. The worst kind of rage. Um, I don't know. He, he did show the odd sly hint, such as when he uh, passed on a coded message to Jenna about uh, the imminent arrival of Blake. Um, that being said, there was... I did bring this up in the synopsis. There was the odd bit of out-of-characterness from him, in which he's like, OK, Blake, get me out of prison. Um 
he's famous for getting out of all rooms. Well, to be fair, it could be a case of how the door's locked. I mean, yeah, it's a very medieval place. It could just be like a big bar across the door. That is true. Which sort of no amount of lock-picking skills is going to be able to get you out. <laughs> That's true enough. I suppose that gets me on to the other thing I kind of like. Um, uh, but this is very personal to me as a historian. I kind of liked uh, the aping of a quasi kind of Viking slash um, ancient Gaul <laughs> kind of style and the kind of medieval feel to it, which I think was probably kind of epitomised with the joust kind of thing at the end. Um, but that's such a poorly choreographed fight. <laughs> they, they, fair, put these, but... they put the spiked gloves down on the table and you see the spikes go into the table and go, oh yeah, they look a bit dangerous. And then they actually put the body on, oh, well, those first gloves look quite dangerous, but these ones with the obviously rubber spikes on, not so much. <laughs> well, hmm. I mean, to be honest, complaining about fight choreography in Blake 7, I think that's that's a tad harsh. To be well, having said that, like Countdown last month had some fantastic fight choreography. Had some really good stuff in there, quite brutal sort of kung fu moves and stuff. Whereas like this this was like an episode of Rent-A-Ghost. <laughs> I'm sorry, but did anyone from Rent-A-Ghost do like a double axe handle off the top of a cave? <laughs> you know, I've not seen every episode of Red Sky, so I'm just going to out entirely. But... <laughs> okay, um, so as I say, I, I liked the kind of... I, I suppose they're design elements, if, if nothing else. Okay. Um, I'm guessing that's pretty much the end of my list, though. Um, yeah, I mean, cosplay yeah. Travis serves no purpose. He shows up, talks to his ship on the world's most giant communicator. Yeah. I mean, that thing's like a shoebox with a flip top on it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think... Uh, I, I, I'm glad you brought Travis up, because I think it goes to uh, a more fundamental problem with the episode as a whole. Um, there is a lot of out-of-character stuff from pretty much every character across the board. Yeah. Um, exceptions maybe Jenna and Serverland. Yeah. But otherwise... Okay, Travis. Why is he suddenly back with Serverland? Why? In fact, there is something even worse going on with Travis, because when he's talking to Serverland about um, what information Blake knows... Oh, God. He's sitting there going like, we, we know that the person's of royal blood. Maybe Blake knows that too. He knows Blake knows that too. He was there when Dockery told him. That's how Travis knows. Yeah. And then he's suggesting that he and Servalan rule the universe together by taking control of Star One. They hate each other. But it, I love <laughs> Travis's optimism. Like, yes, if they both took over Star One, how long do you think you'd live before Servalan had you killed? So, I mean... It is within Travis' nature to want that kind of power in a way. I mean, granted, he wants Blake more, but, you know, he is someone that would absolutely get erupted by a high degree of power. But what... And the delivery in that scene as well, where he gets out 
a one sentence within like two seconds flat. I, 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 oh. I don't and know. Someone turns around and goes, "What are you talking about, Travis?" <laughs> like, yeah, what are you talking about, Travis? You see, I do my best to look for the positives in Brian Couch's <laughs> uh, characterization of Travis, and we'll get into it more next episode because that's when we're looking back over the entirety of season two. Yeah. But. This episode does Travis no favours whatsoever. At best, he kicks he kicks a jester over, yeah, and, and laughs evilly about it. That yeah. made me chuckle. But otherwise, there was no reason for him to be in this episode at all, no. apart to set him up for, as having some kind of involvement in the finale. Well, I said before, the whole thing just feels like filler. It just sort of drags the pace down of the big thing towards getting to Star One. It's like, right, they got really close, and oh, just like the middle of this episode is just nothing. It's Jenna dancing around with Gola and playing checkers with him. Blake spends half the episode hanging around in a dungeon waiting for Obelix to come back. <laughs> but so nothing's happening. Nothing's happening, and I don't care about it. Yeah. And. I will say, I think the yep. opening bits with um, Avon and Callie are strong, when they destroy Travis's ship, and Avon wants to go after Serverland's ship, and he sees that taking off as well. You say that, but... Um, why is Avon all of a sudden all out to kill Travis? Well, I think Avon's always been out to kill Travis, because well, every time Travis's life has been spared, Avon hasn't been about. <laughs> Well, I don't know. There's the, there's the end of C. There's Orac. Um. <laughs> yes, but in, in Orac, um, when Travis says, "Come on, man, why do you kill us?" Avon raises his gun and goes to shoot him, and then Blake says, "No, no, no." no. <laughs> we'll tell him you, you let us you let us take Orac. And yeah, yeah. But, but several times, yeah. Had it been Avon's decision, he would have just shot him in the face. And so now he's got an opportunity to do that without anybody telling him not to, and he takes it with both hands. But, I mean, he has that awesome line as well when uh, Kelly says, "Oh, he, he, he must not be able to see us coming," and Avon says, "I've got absolutely no objection to shooting him in the back." <laughs> That's true. I mean, I think my problem is it's done with a kind of personal fervor, um, which, all right, all right Avon, I, I can understand why Avon would be happier with Travis out of the picture, but. We don't see it with that degree of kind of intense rage as we did in this episode. I mean, in some ways, you'd think that that's the kind of thing that Blake would feel for Travis. Although we did see in the previous episode, and um, my apologies for not bringing it up, but um, Blake, as much as offhandedly says, no, I don't really care about killing you, Travis. When he, when Travis is just daring Blake to kill him, it's like, I'm not against you, Travis. I'm against the Federation. So, and and that kind of gives Travis a kind of identity crisis, because he he's always set himself up as like the antidote to Blake, or Blake's big enemy, and Tra- uh, and Blake's actually not really first either way. But I, I, I'm perhaps not remembering one big thing in past continuity where Avon 
is really justified in really hating Travis, put it that way. Well, that's fair enough. I mean, I'd say his intensity is more the fact, like, if Callie wasn't there stopping him, he'd have flown the ship over, shot him, come back, and it wouldn't have been a thing. But the fact that Callie's sort of fighting him about it, he's having a false look, which just go over there and blow the bloody ship up, woman. <laughs> but the problem with that is it just leads to him sulking for, like, the remainder of the episode. Well, because ultimately, I think he knows he was right, and he was right. You know, he was right about Travis's ship. He was right to go after Serverland's ship because if he'd gone after Serverland's ship, he would have destroyed Travis. I mean, he wouldn't know who he was destroying, but yeah, you know, you've got the supreme command of the Federation ship on its own, cold, and you don't go after it. <laughs> of course, you'd go after it, and Avon's right to go after it. Well, because Blake you... had a bit of a hissy fit before. <laughs> And where were you? And where the hell were you? That's, that's, that must have been Matt Smith's inspiration many years later. For, what was the episode? Like the mid-season cliffhanger. Oh, yes. That. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, I don't know what you mean. right in, fans. Jacob yes, Blake at Earth2.net. That's amnesiac sci-fi fans at Earth2.net. <laughs> yes. What? But yeah, there's, there's just there's little glimmers of half-decent stuff going on, but it's just overwhelmed by the, this sort of tidal wave of bad writing and ridiculous acting. I mean, the the yeah. play Gola makes sort of like um makes Avon look like Robert De Niro. In terms of how sort of naturalistic and method he is. Yeah. Um, so, I just shout at things and then I talk really quiet. It, it's, it's the Brian Blessed school of acting. My my note here is exactly he's a poor man's Brian Blessed. He is a poor man's Brian Blessed. And in that we had Brian Blessed as early as episode three, then, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's not like they couldn't get him so they cast a stand-in. It's like, no, they've already got him, and they've thought, oh, Brian Blessed was a success. Let's try that again. But with less fighting monks. You see, if we're going to talk about great choreographed action... Oh, absolutely. I think that's that's still the standard to beat. Oh, yes. Definitely leaping over spears and exactly, stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I'm like... So perhaps Blake's just put on a few pounds, but you, you just don't see him doing that anymore. Or he, no. as impressive as his double axe handle was. Yes. <laughs> it still involves landing on your feet. Yeah. He is no cruiserweight wrestler. No. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, Gola. Yes. I mean, I can absolutely believe that perhaps it was a family trait but it came from a long line of hammy individuals yes. because you've got him there and then you've got his sister the witch yes who will give you a drawn out evil cackle at the drop of a hat yes I agree <laughs> she's quite clearly batshit insane and yet completely right with all of her mystical predictions. Yes. Yeah. I don't know. 
was I got more enjoyment out of just making notes rather than watching. Yeah. You know, it says a lot about the episode. Well, it does. Are you aware... Uh, well, okay. When um, we returned to the classic Blake 7 trope of oh, they're out of range from the teleports, which puts the ground crew in real danger. Yeah. Um, so Blake throughout is shouting, Avon! 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 Um, I added to my notes, Fenton! Fenton! Jesus Christ! <laughs> because, kids, it's uh, December 2011, and that's the popular meme of the day. It certainly is. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I was very proud of myself for that one. Absolutely. You, you've captured the zeitgeist. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, down with the kids. Down with... <laughs> uh, so, um... I don't... Do we have anything more to say about this? Um, poss- well... No. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, the fact it's not very good and everyone's out of character and it's just sort of a bit... Ugh. Well, I mean, I think it's fair to say that you just found it a bit meh and I loathe it with a fiery passion. Well, I don't see what's there to really warrant loathing. I mean, it's not very good, but... I would say, I mean, possibly my... One of the reasons I'm biased against it is I know what's coming in the next episode, and I just feel like it completely ruins the overall pace of the series to go from Gambit, which is quite full on, right, and Star One, which, without spoiling anything, is also quite full on, and you've just got this nothing in the middle. Well, perhaps that's a kind of um, recent attitude, what with DVD box sets and the like, because I mean. People like us nowadays, if we've got a box set, and well, I'm talking about people like us. I'm talking about you, Dave. I, oh, okay. clear, I, clear, <laughs> I clearly own two box sets uh, of, of Carry On films and Bond, <laughs> nothing else. With that's a lie, but still. Um, the, 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 I mean, the thing is, I mean, I'm watching it. Okay, granted, I'm watching two episodes back to back a month, but still, I don't have the foresight of what's to come much like people who were originally watching it on TV. So, I can't lay that at this episode's feet. No, and I wouldn't expect you to, so I know my prejudice against it is purely based <laughs> on what I know is coming, so... Yeah. It, it, as I suppose to my mind, I mean, I, I, when I first saw it, I didn't think it was a terribly good episode, but then when, you, when I saw it in context with the other episodes, I actually just, it actually just made me mad that I had to sit through this crap to order to get to something happening. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know, I mean, maybe after you see Star 1, you may also retroactively hate the Keeper as well. <laughs> well, we'll have to find out next month, but... Well, I mean, that's what happened with the web. Yes, so... Uh, <laughs> we shall have to wait and see. Yeah. I mean, <sighs> there, are, there, there are pictures of the Liberator as scene transitions, so it's obviously a very cheap episode, but... Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, and, you know, lest we forget, there is a very strong undercurrent of rape. Yes. Which is... Extremely strong undercurrent of rape. At, at best, that is distasteful. Yes. And at worst, it's completely abhorrent. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, 
you know, we've we've now got this phrase pair bond. Yeah, well, which, I mean, I think to be fair, pair bonding is probably what they call marriage. <laughs> but, I, I suppose. But, but, yeah, they, they would call marriage uh, taking her to pair bond or you know, to breed with or whatever. But obviously, the strong implication would be that you know he's going to be marrying an unwilling partner, and therefore, you know, yeah. And I suppose that keeps him with the whole sort of Visigoth idea. They were known to be quite a rapey people. Absolutely. <laughs> they were indeed. Um, but I, I suppose there is that modern day context where, I mean, nowadays we're more likely to subconsciously kind of infer rape rather than marriage. Yeah. Um, although, I mean... But, I, I think he, yeah, there is totally the implication of right there when he says, oh, yes. well, you'll, you'll, think... you'll, pair, you'll pair bond with me whether you like it or not. Yeah, That's... exactly. <laughs> I can see why my brother wants to pair bond with you. Yeah, but uh, no, I, I can absolutely see that. I can see that the way it's being played, it comes off as very sexually aggressive. Um, I'm just thinking that, you know, at the end of the day, this is kind of for a family audience at the end of the 70s. So, well, at the time... Yeah, the first episode set him up as a paedophile, so it's not exactly... <laughs> yes, yes. It's not exactly Sally Superstore, is it? No. <laughs> That's exactly, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying that that's perhaps a more modern connotation. Yes, possibly, yeah. Well, with, with time pressing on, should we bring on the Who count? Bring it on! Okay, it's a bit of an epic this week. Uh, for Gambit, we have uh, Aubrey Woods, who played Krantor, was the controller in Day of the Daleks, which is a John Pertwee story. Uh, Dennis Carey, who played Dockley, played uh, Professor Kronotis in Sharda, the Keeper in The Keeper of Traken, and the Old Man in Time Lash. Time Lash! Oh, yes. A, a Blake Seven favourite. Yes. Ask crossover. They're going to be hitting that suit on bigger on the inside, Mike. They are. They've, they've just started the sixth doc. Not to show my my hand, but um, and that's quite fun because Mike has been looking forward to covering the sixth doctor for ages. Yes. So, <laughs> that's uh, so interesting. Uh, Sylvia Coolridge, who played the croupier, played uh, Amelia Ducar in the Seeds of Doom. Uh, Paul Grist, who played Shevardick, played uh, Filer in Claws of Axos. John Leeson, who played Toys, <laughs> was obviously the voice of K-9 for many episodes, and also appeared in Blake 7 before in Mission to Destiny. He lacks affection. He does. Uh, <laughs> Deep Roy, who played the Clute, was Mr. Sin in the Talons of Wang Choyang, and was also a Decima in The Web, which is shit. Hey, there we go. <laughs> uh, Norman Bacon, who played a head... <laughs> Sorry. Uh, played, a, played a masked child in full circle. Uh, Pat Gorman, who you may remember from last month. <laughs> How can I forget Pat Gorman? Epic Blake 7 extra of epicness. Yep. Uh, he was the Trantinian captain. I won't list his achievements again here. No. Because, you know, <laughs> we'll be here forever. 
Yeah. Uh, our old friend, Mr. Ridgewell Hawks, uh, who, played a, who played a customer, was a sea base guard in Warriors <laughs> of the Deep. Uh, Steve Kelly, who played a customer, played a sea <laughs> devil in Warriors of the Deep. Uh, Mark Kirby, who played a customer, <laughs> was a crewman in the Nightmare of Eden. Yeah. Uh, Arnold Lee, who was a customer, <laughs> was part of the sea base crew in Warriors of the Deep. This is, get, this is getting uncannily familiar. Yep. Uh, Mike Munnigan, who played a customer, <laughs> who has appeared in the Who Camp before, he was a passerby in the Christmas Invasion. All right. Uh, one for the orgs here, uh, Mr. Robert Smythe. Hey! Who played a customer, and as we now all know, was a ceremony observer in Snake Dance. Hey! And our, our other old friend, Mr. Barry Summerford. Yes. Played a customer, was <laughs> the now legendary steaming audience member of Sunmakers. <laughs> and our good friend, Mr. Derek Southern. Who hey! <laughs> Was a Krog in Sharda, which gives us a who count of 16. Bloody hell. Isn't it just? I remember there was an episode far back where you're going, oh, I, I, I don't see us beating seven, um, because uh, they don't use extras very much from here on in. Yeah, but in, in Gambit, there's a shit ton of extras. <laughs> oh, there really is. There really is. <laughs> so, uh, the Keeper... Uh, Bruce Purchase, who played Gola, was the pirate captain in the Pirate Planet. Makes sense. Uh, Arthur Hewlett, who was uh, the old man in the cell, was uh, Kalmar in State of Decay, and Mr. Kimber in Terror of the Vervoids. It's an interesting one. Uh, Ron Tarr, who played Patrol Leader, was uh, well known for several episodes of EastEnders as playing a character called Big Ron. And Big Ron turned up in Dimensions in Time, the Children's in Need special which crossed over Doctor Who and he said, <laughs> he wow, saved that's... Liz Shaw from the Rani. <laughs> I have heard certain things about Dimensions in Time without hearing the definitive thing. Because I'm, sh- I'm, I'm not sure even the Eclectic Podcast really went into Dimensions in Time. <laughs> because it, it goes on for about ten minutes and it's absolute bollocks. <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, Stuart Fell, who played a goth, uh, right. is, a, is another legendary multiple performer. He, he, he's a stuntman who did lots of uh, sort of stunt coordinating on episodes, which I won't mention here, but has actually yeah. appeared in Doctor Who as a unit soldier in the Claws of Axos. He played Alpha Centauri in uh, The Curse of Peladon and The Monster of Peladon. He was a sea devil oh, in the sea devils. He was a functionary in Carnival of Monsters. He was a tramp in Planet of the Spiders. He was <laughs> in the Ark of Space. A kraal in the Android Invasion. He was the monster in the Brain of Morbius. He was a jester in the Mask of Mandragora. He was a Tesh guard in the Face of Evil. He was a guard in the Sunmakers. A Sontaran in the Invasion of Time. And Roger in State of Decay. And a plumber in The Two Doctors. <laughs> And it's another welcome return to Mr. Ridgewell Hawks. Hey! Played a goth. <laughs> and you already know his, his awesome, awesome back catalogue. Naturally. 
Steve Perry, he played a goth, was an ogre on your frontier in space and a sea devil in Warriors of the Deep. And uh, Diddy Powell, who was a goth, did uh, some stunts in Terror of the Autons. Which brings us a who count of seven. Still good. Wow. 23. (laughs) Just for this episode. Does that sort of dwarf all of series one? (laughs) Combined. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, as we wind things up, should we have a quick mention of stuff that's going down over at Earth 2? Okie dokie. Well... Uh, I can say that uh, I have recorded my bit for the episode 500 spectacular. Uh, can't say what it is. I'm not entirely sure when it's going out, so it might still not have uh, hit the end by the time we, we record next. But um, the initial plan was to do it the last day of uh, the year. Um, Episode, but, but then I don't. I think there's been a, some slight delays. Uh, get, I was about to say getting them out, um, so <laughs> publishing the episodes that would lead up. Uh, yeah, because we're we, we're currently on 489 uh, at time of recording. Uh, not to be sneezed at, um, but essentially it's lazy contributors like me who haven't. <laughs> Dragging your heels. Well, to be honest, I've I've been promising a Captain America uh, special for Comic Relief for quite a while. Um, But I've had a hard time tracking all of the films down. And uh, with particular notes of the 1944 serial of Captain America, which is almost completely unlike the Marvel character in every way. Um, (laughs) Which is why I'm desperate to cover it and include it. But uh, um, I do have the serial, but it's not quite matching up with my player. So I'm, I'm looking through codecs and things like that at the moment. Oh, right. Okay. But, uh, so it may take as long as uh, January until episode uh, 500 comes out. But uh, I've seen what's planned for it, and um, it looks darn good. Darn good. Look forward to seeing that, then. Um Two other things. Um, uh, a quick note on Big Damn Heroes. Um, in true Whedon style, uh, there's a cast departure mid-season. Uh, oh, yes. Break. Because uh, Preston's stepping down, just because he's got quite a lot on. So uh, we'll, we'll see who the spunky new cast member is uh, sometime early next year. Uh, right. It's just, just having a, a hiatus over December. And uh, finally, um, the, our beloved store, which we talked about in the last episode, um, there, there is a new DVD commentary on our store, and uh, it's relevant to the Who Counts because this is about Doctor Who, and uh, it's uh, Mike has essentially sat down and gone through the entire, granted the, um, not the PAL version, uh, whatever they use in America, but... Um, I, I, I doubt too much has changed time-wise. Um, of the Caves of Androzani. Yeah, I, I have downloaded that myself. I, I have paid my uh, one dollar wow. ninety-nine. Wow. Which is actually it works out at about uh, one pound thirty-two at the current exchange rate. So you know, I'd, I'd spend that on a pasty. And uh, have you have you listened through to it yet? 
not yet. No, I'm, I'm looking for a uh, quiet five minutes. Well, not five minutes, but <laughs> five quite a couple minutes. of hours. Yeah. Quite a couple of hours to sit down, <laughs> stick the DVD on, and stick the commentary on as well. So, but I'm looking forward to it. I, well, I mean, it comes off of um, a, a mammoth uh, episode 77 of Bigger on the Inside, where once they get Planets of Fire out of the way, um, because they weren't completely enamoured with the debut of Perry. Um, it was then about an hour of gushing about the caves of Androzani. And rightly uh, so. It's the greatest Doctor Who story in the history of history ever. I have heard that from many people. Um, so it's true. <laughs> um, so I, I might have to add my opinions to this once I actually get round to watching that myself. But, uh, yes. Uh, so that's that's plenty of news about Surf 2 for you, so come on over and have a look. Well, over at Geek Planet, it's a bit quiet at the moment because we're sort of building up to December, but we are going to have like a, a site redesign and relaunch soon. Uh, Mr. Dillon is Ooh. currently beavering away on it in, his, uh, in what little spare time he has at the moment. And so, uh, yeah, at, at some point there's going to be a new look to the site. It's not going to be too radical. It's still going to be recognisably geek planets, but uh, there's going to be a few new bells and whistles attached and and everything. So, yeah, looking forward to it. Ah, okay. Is that more work for you? Is it primarily Matt doing it? It's primarily Matt because it's all sort of like a... He's the sort of technical webmaster presentation side. I'm, I'm the editor, so I'm all about content. <laughs> you say that, but then I send all my articles... On their very occasional basis, uh, to your good lady instead. Well, yes, that's because she's my copy editor. Yes. And actually proofreads and formats everything. I, I go out there commissioning articles and stuff. Oh, I see. <laughs> I'm, I'm the one. I'm the one make, makes the articles happen. <laughs> Fair enough. So yes, there should be a brand new look to Geek Planets uh, coming in the new year. Maybe a little earlier, but uh, we shall have to see how, how soon Mr. Dylan can get it finished. Ah, good. Um, as a side note, I did get to uh, see Mr. Dillon uh, a couple of weeks ago, Neil. Indeed, yes. So I, I'm sorry I couldn't, I couldn't make it down, but I was absolutely flat broke. Well, I was absolutely flat broke. I came, I came to London with £10 to my name and then proceeded to spend £6.60 of that on a bloody tube ticket. <laughs> so I could afford one drink at the Black Dog meet because uh, it was for the uh, Black Dog uh, podcast as hosted by Geek Planet, and so it's a very good fun podcast. Um, oh, absolutely, was, yes. Heartily recommend. It was nice to meet the hosts um, for the first time, and indeed um, the kind of community that's built up listening to that podcast. Um, so there, there was the odd Geek Planet person that I've I've met before, but um, uh, generally. <laughs> it was quite funny I, I saw Matt outside so he led me up to where the party was and he said hey everyone we've got an Ian and everyone's like Ian? who's he? <laughs> <laughs> so that was slightly awkward but um, <laughs> once I said I'd come all the way from Newcastle they, they quickly felt very guilty and um, I got drinks bought for me so that was nice hurrah uh, hurrah <laughs> Um, so yeah, so that, that was fun. But uh, <laughs> we we did think that if you were going to be there, Dave, that um, we'd uh, get get some photographs together for for publicity. But which uh, would have been good, yes. Well, I, of I mean, course, I, 
at, at the time, I, I was still in the midst of Movember, so it wouldn't have been a true reflection of how I usually look. With a, that's that's probably quite fair. <laughs> yeah, with an embarrassing amount of hair on my upper lip. <laughs> Never mind. Well, I think the time has come to finally steer this raggedy ship to shore. Yes. Orag, are you familiar with the theory of molecular reduction? Am I to assume that you refer to the stabilised atomic implosion? Yes, Villa and I were just discussing it. We were? And I was assuring him that the whole idea is an absurd fantasy. On the contrary, it is neither absurd nor is it a fantasy. Are you suggesting that you know more about the subject than I do? It is not a suggestion. It's a statement of fact. Do you seriously expect me to believe that you could, for example, reduce your size without affecting your function? I could. For how long? It would depend on the degree of reduction. Approximately one-eighth of your current size. Two hours, six minutes. Talks cheap. Does that mean something? It means he doesn't believe you, and neither, as a matter of fact, do I. I take it you wish me to prove it. Why not? Well, we'll be kicking off uh, 2012 with the last episode of Season 2, that being Star 1. And so we'll be uh, reviewing that and then looking back over Series 2. So don't just get your thoughts in about Star 1, people. Also, we want to hear from you about Season 2 as a whole, and perhaps how you think it compares with Season 1. Um, because it's, uh, I think it's fair to say they've been pretty different. Oh, yes, yes, definitely. Definitely. Yes. And of course, and I'm looking forward to hearing the statistician Ian jingle again, of course. <laughs> it's been a while, hasn't it? the real highlight. <laughs> You say that, but you have the audio file right there. You could listen to it any time you wanted. Well, I don't want to spoil it. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, um, so before we, we, we leave you with my um, my embarrassing Christmas parody, uh, may as well just uh, tell you how to actually uh, send in your thoughts. Shouldn't yes, you? Yes, we, we should. You, you should send them to uh, shakerblake at geekplanetonline.com is where you should send them, is where you should send them. Yes. I completely agree with that. So, yeah. Is this a, a reverse psychology ploy? <laughs> reverse psychology. Uh, no, shakerblake at earth-2.net. Thanks. And I will re- reiterate that further. In musical form, pretty soon. We hope everybody has a great Christmas and a good New Year. Absolutely. And we'll see you again in 2012. You'll hear our voices in 2012. Absolutely. (laughs) I podcast in order to avoid people. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So from me, Dave Probert. And myself, Ian Wilson. Thank you for listening to Shake and Blake. And now, as a special Christmas gift from me, the suave Ian Wilson, I will treat you to my velvet-infused tones.
Games to bring you a Yuletide plea. Watch and learn, Darren Diamond. Shake and play cats. Uh, 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 u